Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. today's episode out by saying thank you. Thank you for being here, for listening and supporting me and also the podcast and sharing with others in your life about the She Built This podcast and about the She Built This community. We're all in this together and so you truly can help me to build this by leaving a review for the show, sharing it with someone else you know would love me as much as you do, uh, or even just taking a photo of where you're listening to the She Built This podcast and posting it to social media and tagging me. If you are hankering to make someone's day today, that is, my friend, how you can make mine. Um, If this is your first time here, I'm Emily Aborn. I'm a freelance content writer as well as the owner-founder of She Built This. She Built This is a community of women entrepreneurs who are positive, growth-minded, and get as excited about success and abundance and listening to podcasts and learning as you do. If this is your first time, I also recommend that whatever podcast app you're using right now, you follow, subscribe, uh, do whatever it tells you to do to make sure that you hear these episodes right when they come out every Wednesday morning. Also, if you're listening to this on the day that it comes out, June 1st, today is my husband Jason's birthday and he is very, very old today. So if you see him, be sure to tell him happy birthday and tell him that he looks younger than ever, which honestly, he really does. Um, If you too share this birthday of June 1st, know that I probably think you are just as awesome as he is. And well, I guess even if you don't share this birthday, you're probably still pretty awesome. But anyway, if you share this birthday also of June 1st, happy birthday to you too. Um, I'm not one too much for uh, PDA, which in this in this instance is podcast displays of affection. But I really think that this man deserves a proper shout out because he is my best friend in life, my idea bouncer offer, my cheerer honor, and my FOMO talker downer. He is truly one of the kindest, funniest, and most thoughtful people I know. And I know that his face is probably turning red right now while he's listening to this, which is why I've delighted in going on so long to say so. Anyway, Happy birthday to you, Jason Aborn, and I promise not to use my nickname for you in this episode. Okay, one more fun fact about Jason, though, while we're on the topic. Now, he has been on my podcast before, and he too is the owner of a business. Um, If you want to hear our story, you can go back in time and listen to episode 100, which is appropriately called uh, the 100th episode, A Conversation with Me and My Husband. But don't do that until after you're done listening to this one, because otherwise you're going to totally miss out on this amazing message. All right, back to Jason, the owner of a business. He has a professional interior exterior paint business and does a lot of work in like Keene, Stoddard area in New Hampshire. Now, I have no idea where Stoddard, New Hampshire actually is. I've been there a bunch of times, but I don't really know where it is. But anyway, Jason has this business. And the way he started 
was how many of us do. We don't like working for other people. We want to make our own hours, have freedom, make a decent living. So we venture into the world of entrepreneurship, step foot onto that sweet, sweet greener grass and never turn back. Interestingly enough, when I was preparing for today's episode with my guest Patrick, I asked the She Built This group members what things that they tend to feel FOMO around, and these were their answers. Home ownership, travel, uh, taking the leap from a career into entrepreneurship while others around them are starting businesses. So, and there were a few more as well. Um, I wanted to share a quick story, though, about mine and Jason's past life, which again, if you want to hear the full story, you can go back to episode 100. But in our past life, we opened a retail shop that sold organic mattresses and natural bedding. We had a solid business model based on our area and the client research we'd done. And with very little knowledge about what we were actually doing, we took a pretty substantial loan from the bank and just decided to go for it. If we'd known that getting people to know about your business and getting them in the door was like 80% of the heavy lifting, we probably would have gone about the entire thing and where we focused that investment very, very differently. But uh, over the nearly five years that we had the store, we worked really hard to grow our list of contacts and we ended up with a steady flow in the lead pipeline. A competitor of ours ended up purchasing our intellectual property, including our customer list, website, and a few other pieces that helped them to be able to step into a a rather thriving number of leads, and they got to be sitting on the fruits of our labor and marketing efforts to add to their own business. Okay, so after we closed that retail shop, that's when Jason kind of transitioned into painting, and again, uh, he'd done it before, and that is why I transferred into the businesses that I have now and going full in and not letting those feelings of FOMO around entrepreneurship stop us, but really using them as a source of inspiration and motivation to move us forward. Okay. Why am I telling you all this? Well, we actually have a sponsor today for the episode. One of our She Built This members is in the process of selling her own business that she spent 18 years working to build. She took the leap into entrepreneurship herself many years ago, and today, Lorraine is excited at the thought that another woman entrepreneur would take the reins and experience continued success with one of the largest home organizing businesses in Southern New Hampshire. Naturally Organized is a turnkey sale. You can step foot into a thriving business with everything that you need at your fingertips to grow. And she has 350 clients already in the kitty. So if you're someone who's ready to take that leap into entrepreneurship, you're sick of the FOMO and you want to hit the ground running, or maybe you're a competitor or similarly minded business who wants to grow your book of business fast, get tools on how to do it successfully, um, email me at the link in the show notes, Emily at Emily Aborn, and I will connect you to Lorraine of Naturally Organized for more details. I'd also love your help spreading the word with anyone who would be interested in purchasing a business. I could see this being like an ideal situation for someone who wants to start a home organizing business or wants to add on to their home organizing business or has another business that this would be a no brainer, like as an arm and a leg of, um, think like personal assistance, concierge service, something like that. Sometimes the way to abate the FOMO around being a business owner is to look at it and say, okay, this is actually something I really want to go for, and then start to take the steps and do the thing 
and go for it. Now, all this said, uh, today's guest knows far more about starting businesses and FOMO as in general than I do. Patrick McGinnis is my guest today, and Patrick created the terms FOMO as well as FOBO while he was a student at Harvard Business School. Now, over 15 years later, he's going to show us how to banish FOMO and FOBO in order to find the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. Sounds lovely, doesn't it? Uh, Patrick is a venture capitalist, entrepreneur, and the host and creator of the hit podcast of his own, FOMO Sapiens, which has surpassed 2 million downloads and consistently ranks among the top 100 business podcasts in the United States, UK, India, Canada, Australia, Mexico, Brazil, and 20 plus additional markets across the globe. He's the author of the international bestseller, The 10% Entrepreneur, a guide to part-time personal and corporate innovation published by Penguin in 2016, and his new book, Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice, came out in May 2020. Perfect timing. And you will hear in this interview, I do get a little nervous at times because my FOMO comes from not being as far along as some of my peers, as some of these wonderful people that I get to chat with on my podcast. Um all in good time, my dear, all in good time. Maybe by the time I'm old as my husband, Jason, I'll be all set in the FOMO department. But anyway, back to the episode. The theme of the podcast this month is rethink. And I hope that this episode will afford you the opportunity to rethink maybe how you handle FOMO in your own life and how to use it as a force to propel you forward rather than hold you back. Without further ado, here is my interview with Patrick McGinnis. Hi, Patrick, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is very exciting. I feel like meeting the founder of the term FOMO, I mean, everybody better buckle up because this is going to be a good one. (laughs) And hopefully you can help us know what to do with some of our FOMO. But to start, before we get into all topics, fear of missing out, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, like your exit from Wall Street, I think it was, and how that's really like helped get you to where you are today? Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't plan on that. I didn't say goodbye to Wall Street as much as Wall Street said goodbye to me in the sense that I worked at two different large companies where one of them, my group got sort of dismantled when I was away at school. And then, you know, I sort of had to figure out a new plan. And then my second one, the company blew up AIG during the financial crisis. And even though I was in the private equity division, had nothing to do with any of that stuff, it didn't matter. Our whole business blew up. My stock fell 97%. And I just woke up one day and I was like, oh, you know, I, I grew up in a small town in Maine. I never even thought about doing something like working on Wall Street. I made more money than I ever thought I would. And I was completely unhappy and stressed out. And I just thought to myself, like, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. You need to take the chessboard and just throw it out the window with all the pieces and figure out a different way of doing things. Okay, wait, you're not going to leave us hanging there. What happened next? <laughs> I was pausing for dramatic effect. Oh, okay. I'm hope like, everybody, wow. Hope I hope everybody enjoyed of, that. I'm on the edge of my seat over here. <laughs> you know, if you just keep on talking, people will zone you out. So what I did is I took a sabbatical for one year and 
I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but my brother sat me down and said, you should get up every day for six months, not knowing what you're going to do that day. And I thought that sounded really crazy and I would never be able to do that. But in fact, I managed to do that for much longer than six months because I had savings. And so I took that time, I deprogrammed myself from the treadmill and then thought about the things that I had done in the past that I most enjoyed, which was investing in Latin America. And I thought about uh, the fact that, you know, I, I wanted to not just do consulting work where, you know, you don't generate any equity, but I wanted to start to build ownership in a bunch of different things. And I ended up building a portfolio of investments and advisory opportunities and, and, and some consulting work that became this new career. And that led me to writing a couple of books and, you know, to doing all the things that I do today. Okay. So let's get into that. Um, I mean, in addition to just being an author, you've also, you invest in other businesses, right? So what does that look like for you? Yeah. Living off of being an author, if you could yeah. do it, would be amazing. <laughs> but most of us, I don't know, I, it would be, it would be pretty hard. Um, so what I do is uh, I started my career as an investor working at JP Morgan. And then as I said, AIG, and I did a early stage venture kind of stuff. And I also did private equity. So I have a expertise in that. I, you know, understand how deals are done. And so when I, when I started investing, I basically just found companies I believed in that I understood. And I started investing, you know, kind of angel, uh, angel investments. So, you know, early stage companies, high risk, but small dollars. And then sometimes I would say, you know, your company's great, but feels too risky. And if you really want me involved, just give me shares and I'll kind of be almost like a sort of a board member and help you out. So I did some of that. And then that actually led me back into, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this before. Now I'm uh, uh, on the investment committee and I'm um, an, a, a kind of a partner in a firm, uh, a VC firm that invests in Latin America. And so having kept my toe in it and doing it myself kind of paved the way into me getting more involved in the fund again. And so, you know, it's been, it's been a great way for me to continue investing and building, but you know, at some point you're like, you can't put all your money into early stage venture stuff. So that's why I wanted to get involved with a fund where we could invest in more things. Yeah. That's awesome. And really, really rewarding and fulfilling work. I imagine. Yeah. It's all about building. Right. And I think I was always a person who as a child was extremely creative. I was always up to something. I was always making something and then I think, you know, the reality is that the universe oftentimes just knocks that out of us because we go to schools and we study subjects and we get jobs where we're processing more than we're building. And so to be able to get back into the mindset of building stuff, which is not an easy transition, by the way, like I, relearning that was a process, you know, because I was so risk averse. But now that I've kind of gotten to the other side of that, like I just get up every day and sort of think like what would be interesting to make today? And you know, I think that's a really good approach to building value and also making your life interesting. Fun. I know that six months you described sounded amazing. Well, actually, it was longer than that, but it sounded great. <laughs> it's amazing, but it's stressful too. And like one thing that somebody told me, which was so spot on, it's like, even if you have tons of savings and I had saved and saved, I had plenty of, you know, time that I could take off. When you start digging into those savings, like month three, once you're over the initial thrill of not working and you, you start to be like, yikes, I just, you know, I spent, you know, $10,000 this month and I made zero. It just doesn't feel good. So that was always a continuous struggle in my head. Um, all right. Where, let's talk about this term FOMO, uh, where it came from for you, because you are the originator of this term, if everybody can believe that. So I also want to know, like, I'm sure there's lots of definitions out there that are not your definitions. So I'd love to hear how you really define it. 
So I have spent considerable time and energy coming up with the really good FOMO definition that will should be used in all publications. And it is, uh, FOMO is the anxiety uh, provoked oftentimes by social media uh, that there is something better out there than what's happening to you right now, as well as uh, the fear of missing out on a collective uh, beneficial experience. So that's that's the definition. Yeah. So I, I want to touch on that social media piece a bit. Do you think that FOMO is more prevalent in today's day and age, or do we just think that it is? Is it like how we think that there's more bad news now when it was really probably the same amount of bad news, we just see it more often? So clinical psychologists have looked at this uh, really with a lot of depth. There's so much writing on this in the in the journals of uh, psychology, and, and so I've read a ton of this stuff. And there is a clear correlation between social media use and FOMO. Mm-hmm. And it may be, and there's some interesting dynamics there because it, people who are more prone to FOMO are more prone to want to be on social media. So they sort of feed into each other. But what, for me, I mean, the way to think about it's very, I think, user-friendly is that when we feel FOMO, and I left this word out of my definition, so I didn't even say my definition correctly, but I'll just say it now. It's the perception that there's something better out there happening, oftentimes fueled by social media. What that really gets to is the fact that you were, you know, perception, when you see something on social media, it's so filtered and presented and shaped by people because we all want to look awesome that you're being given a version of something that does not correspond to reality. And therefore, your chances of perceiving something to be better than it is are much higher than if you sort of just experienced it yourself, obviously. And so that's where social media is particularly pernicious, is that it allows us to see a distorted view of the world. And then within our heads, we can fill in the blanks about how amazing something is. Yeah. So I want to, you're so right about that because, you know, people always say like, share, share your vulnerabilities and stuff. And so some people you do see them like crying on social media, but I have never once posted a picture of myself crying on social media and it happens. So it's not all like roses and daisies and butterflies over here. All right. So I want to share with you some things that people in my, she built this group shared that they feel FOMO around because I, I had to ask. So Mm. some of the things that they brought up were, uh, home ownership, um, travel, doing large scale events again, like this would be a COVID related thing, um, not feeling secure enough to transition from a career to entrepreneurship and watching everybody around them succeeding and happy as entrepreneurs. And someone said me and things that I do in the entrepreneurial space, which I never want to invoke FOMO in somebody else, um, events, picking and choosing activities and what growth building strategies they should choose. So where do you think these, where do these feelings of anxiety, like what is underlying some of these things, do you think? Thank you for sharing those. Those are all definite FOMO triggers. Um, You know, when you were reading through those, I was thinking that I could identify with all of them. Um, So that's fantastic that people are, it's important to just sort of like recognize what's going on. So you had asked me before how I came up with the term and it very much, when I tell the story, will answer your question, which is that I, um, I never, you know, was not something I, I was always very ambitious and very type A and competitive with myself, uh, and others at one point, although I've tried to tamp down on that. But when I got to, uh, 
graduate school, I, you know, I applied to Harvard Business School. I, that was not something that was, I, I had ever even thought of doing. I mean, I didn't know people who had gone there. You know, it's not something that's typical from, you know, where I come from. And when I got in, I was really, you know, amazed. And I got in in a very interesting time, a very, you know, difficult time, which is that I took my GMAT the day before September 11th, 2001. And so, you know, I, I take my GMAT, I did well on it. And so, you know, I, then I decided I'd apply to Harvard that day. And then the next morning, you know, 9-11 happens. I live in lower Manhattan. It was crazy. And I just remember thinking like the world that I knew doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, we're living in it, the world did change quite a bit. And we all thought we were you know, going to die and that we needed to live every moment to the fullest. And so when I arrived at HBS, you know, uh, later that year, <clears throat> I basically, you know, I was so, um, I just was like, I got to do it all because, you know, time is short on this earth. And at the same time, I was like, this is such a special place. I can't believe I'm here. I feel so thankful to be in this place. The thing about HBS is a choice-rich environment. There's just so many things you can do. And so that was where I started to feel the FOMO. I just tried to do everything. I was overcommitted. I was doing social events. I go to six things in one night. You know, it was just it was just out of control. And I realized that was the culture of the school and that all of my friends were the same. And so therefore, you know, that's where the FOMO came from. And that's why I wrote my original article back in 2004 all about this. It's kind of a humorous article, a satire of the high-class problems of a group of MBA students. But you know, I think when you think about the moment now, I mean, the things you just talked about is a combination of perception where you, you know, you see other people doing it and, and you want to, and, and you don't want to be, you, it just looks great and you don't want to miss out on this beneficial thing. It's also has to do with this herd mentality where every, if everybody's doing it and I'm not, does that mean I'm doing something wrong? But I think also right now, given the fact that we were all so um, limited what we could do for the last two years right now feels like this moment of incredible opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of want to do it all. And I have been like, I feel it in myself right now. I am I'm just, I'm really, you know, working hard and kind of failing. It's just being sensible about how much stuff I do right now. Um, and I think that's okay for a period of time. You just don't want to live your entire life like that. Yeah. It's bringing me back what you, what you had said in um, your education experience is bringing you back to how I used to be as a kid. I would make two plans at, at one time so that I could like go from one to the other and not miss anything um, because I just desperately did not want to miss anything fun that was happening. So I do wonder if certain types of people are more prone to this than other types of people because I imagine that it's more of an A-type trait, uh, but I couldn't I couldn't be sure of that. So I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts on that. So I think it has to do, uh, when we think about FOMO, there's, it's really about sort of a combination of, it's a powerful motivator. So people who are doers and ambitious and are extroverts and stuff like that, those kinds of things have high correlations to FOMO. But I also think that it has to do, so part of it's kind of innate in you, right? It's this, it's this nature thing. But then there's a nurture element too, which is the fact that like, you know, I've been to some countries uh, where there was no cell phone service. So I was, I spent a week on an island in this part of Yemen over the holidays. And I spent some time in rural Ethiopia and, and Turkmenistan. And like those three places just don't have a lot of connectivity still, even though we're, you know, even in this day and age. And what I noticed was when you're in a low information environment, when you're not getting those triggers and those inputs, like you just don't feel FOMO because what are you going to, you know, it's like, 
what you don't have the information. And so I think that people who are spending more time on devices, they're more connected, they're more social media sort of immersed, um, or they have wide networks where they can easily compare themselves to other people. You know, the more data you have coming in about the potential things you could be doing, the more likely you are to feel FOMO. And the more, but then, you know, going back to nature, it's like the kinds of people that I mentioned, you know, outgoing, competitive, ambitious are more likely to love using social media and having a million friends. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And and I do think that that is part of the reason that it feels more prevalent as well is because we're just getting a, a bigger influx of data and and seeing all of the choices and opportunities in front of us and what totally. other people are doing because <laughs> totally. they're taking, you know, selfies in the bathroom. Um, okay, so I, I often hear this phrase JOMO, joy of missing out, and that it is the anecdote to FOMO. And it honestly... I don't know why, but it gets under my skin a little bit. And so I want to know how you feel about this term JOMO and whether or not you think that is the anecdote. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it's, I think JOMO is kind of lame. I'm going to tell you, and I'll tell you why. Um, I mean, the notion of JOMO in and of itself, sounds really nice. It's like, ooh, joy of missing out. I'm just impervious to the FOMO, right? But you know, where it gets me, so it's like a good, it's a good place to be. Like we, I, I support people who say like, I, I don't want to, I want to be, you know, sort of like Buddha and be disconnected from all the drama and just focus on, you know, being present. Like that's awesome. The problem is the way that Jomo is deployed as this sort of like <laughs> this like weapon to tell people, oh, I'm, a, I, I, you know, I have Jomo. Like I, I'm not sucked into these things. I'm like, well, if you have so much Jomo, why did you just tell me about it on Instagram stories? Right. And so, but, but the, the notion of Jomo, the fact that if you have to feel that you have to tell somebody you have Jomo tells me you don't have Jomo because, you know, you're, you're focused way much on way too much on external. So I would say it's useful in terms of like, it's a destination on the map. It's Narnia, but in the real world, like, you know, just be careful how you use it because if you are posting about it, you don't have Jomo. Yeah. That's so, it's like something to aspire to, uh, for sure. (laughs) Um, okay. If that is not the answer, what do you think is some of the answer in how we can over start to overcome FOMO? So the, the, this, the place you want to get to the, you know, the sort of, I don't know, solution is not the word I'm going for here, but I would say that the place where you are uh, managing your FOMO appropriately is when you find the power to choose what you actually want. Not what somebody else wants, not what your parents want or, you know, the Kardashians convince you you want, but you find what you want and then you find the courage to miss out on the rest. This is bringing me to like one of my favorite hot topics right now, which is around decision making, because I am all about helping like I'm trying to help myself make better and more intentional decisions. I think decision making is something that we face every single day and it's it's literally the door to intention and living an intentional life. So I want to know what your thoughts are around like how do I know whether or not something is a good or a bad decision because this is something that I mean I could tie you up in a word circle with it but <laughs> but it is really tough sometimes to know what is the best decision. Yeah, that's abstract. I mean, well, I can do it from an abstract point of view. Uh, Number one is 
I, I just want to note, and you guys can go check it out. I did a TED talk called how to make faster decisions where I talk about, you know, how do we outsource decision-making for things that don't matter? Like if you're spending 10 minutes thinking about whether to have the chicken or the fish, that's bad. Like it's not a bad decision. You haven't made it, but that's bad decision-making process. And so I have some nifty ways to sort of overcome that. But in terms of real decision-making, the things that, you know, matter uh, a lot more, you know, for me, it's, I think so many of us, and when we are making decisions and we are having trouble, what happens is we get stressed and when we get stressed, any notion of a process gets thrown out the window and you just start to make emotional kind of decisions, not like fact-based or structured decision-making decisions, which is so funny because at work, like you think about, depending on what you do at work, we are required to present logic for our decisions. Like nobody's like walks in the door and is like, you know what, we're going to choose vendor A or we're going to like do this marketing campaign. No, you have to like lay out your thinking. But in our personal lives, we don't do that. We don't write it down. We don't think through our criteria. We don't have a structured way of working through these things. And so I think, you know, at a very basic level, it's like having a process. And I encourage people to put that process on paper because then it becomes more tangible. And that involves things like having criteria, fleshing out your options, matching, you know, doing due diligence in the real world about the options, then matching your criteria to what you find out. You know, there's like all these like basic things that like people don't do those things. And so I think that um, that is, even though it sounds so basic, just starting with that point, I think 99% of people would be in a better position. Yeah. And we did, um, I did share that TED talk in a recent email because it was really, it, I loved that. I mean, I heard this in a podcast, but I love that concept of just like outsourcing the decisions, like what color socks should I be wearing today? Because here's the thing, when we're trying to make these really, really big decisions in our life, all these other little decisions that are like piling up behind them, they feel super overwhelming and super monumental. You know, when it's literally as easy as just flipping a coin and deciding what you're going to make for dinner that night. Like you don't need to be wasting your brain power thinking about that. Um, so I loved that. And then I also love, I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't make decisions with a process. I think a lot of them make decisions with their heart really quick or, or just going on a gut feeling. And so I kind of love breaking it down into a, an actual process that you can rely on time and time and time again, that's going to help you to make a better decision. Yeah, I do too. I think that's really smart. And I like the fact that, you know, you sort of reference the fact entrepreneurs, you know, a lot of them are told like, trust your gut, trust your gut. Yeah. Like that's, of course your gut is your intuition is really important, but when you like to give your, your intuition, like more tools to, to, to make a decision with rather than just being like, yo, intuition, figure it out. No, of course not. Right. You wouldn't do that to a friend. So treat your intuition like a friend and give it the tools it needs to make better decisions. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times my gut is telling me one thing and my brain is telling me another. And I'm like, I don't know which one of you people I'm supposed to listen to right now. So it's just a war inside of there. So I don't think it's always real. I mean, it's it's maybe always reliable, but maybe my brain is like over talking it, you know? Yeah. Listen, I think that happens to me as well. And I tend to do, I really force myself and I'm sure you do as well. It's like, I, I sort of like, I... I want to have to present it as if I'm selling a product to somebody else. And so I will do that, 
you know, there's not to everybody, but I have a few people I really value the way they think and they think differently than me. And so I want to, you know, it's like, I'm going to present the, the argument to you and then I want your hard feedback. And then, you know, that just makes a huge difference when you get somebody who is, you know, they're interested in helping you. They're not disinterested because they care about you, but they have no skin in the game on this particular decision. They can just really see things clearly. Yeah. And I imagine that helps to see what actually sounds very silly when you say it out loud. <laughs> so, totally. um, okay. So you have another term, uh, transitioning just a little bit here called FOBO, which fear of a better option. Um, I am so guilty of this. I'm, I really want to hear what FOBO is and like how that's different from FOMO. Oh, FOBO. Good old FOBO. I mean, it's, so FOMO, first of all, I'll say FOMO is not all bad. FOBO can be good. Excuse me. FOMO is not all bad. FOMO can be good for you. It is a powerful motivator. And therefore, if you listen to your FOMO, you can learn things. I always say that FOMO is a little bit like, you know, having some wine at a party or at a wedding. You get on the dance floor. It's motivating. You loosen up. You're more willing to sort of try something different. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of shows you, I think, what might actually be important or matter to you or something that like a passion that you might be putting on the back burner that you might actually want to invigorate. So I, I agree with you that it can be productive. Yeah, absolutely. Now, FOBO, on the other hand, fear of a better option is like smoking cigarettes because it's bad for you and it has secondary effects on all the people around you because what it means, I'll define it, um, FOBO is an anxiety created by the perception, once again, <laughs> perception is a big part of all this stuff, created by the perception that there is a better option out there for you if you keep looking, combined with uh, a, a really a belief that that um, option value has real value for you, that the longer you wait, the better decision you'll make. And so what happens is, you know, you're, and this is, you know, in a situation where you have acceptable options. I'm not saying you have, you know, Phobos like, well, should I, you know, do I want to, uh, you know, do I want to jump off the building or get hit by a truck? Like, that's not the play. It's more about like, I'm trying to choose. I have, you know, th between three hotels, they're all perfectly fine. And yet I keep looking and looking and looking. I'm trying to buy, trying to watch a movie on Netflix. I'm trying to, I've got a job offer that I was, would have been delighted to have a year ago, but now I have it. And I'm like, oh, I have to run around and get six more offers from other firms just so I have a comparison. That's where FOBO comes in. It's really, really uh, bad for you. It's, 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 you know, we can talk about the, all the ways it's bad for you, but it's also just bad. It's so disrespectful to other people, um, the people who are waiting for you to make your decision because then it affects them as well. Yeah, it's almost like um, a fear of commitment, it, it seems. It is. And I think the reason why, well, I know the reason why is because, uh, it's people are afraid of making the wrong decision, picking the suboptimal thing. And so we, we know some people who struggle with this, they really think that like, you know, listen, um, I have something in front of me that would be fine, but I want the best, but what they don't realize and the research shows this, it's really quite amazing. Uh, there's a great book called the paradox of choice that I'm sure many listeners have come across by, uh, Barry Schwartz is that, uh, when you, um, when you make a decision, if you're a maximizer, which is, you know, this term that's used by psychologists, uh, and you search and search and search, you will get the best thing. You, it will be like statistically better than the person who does less research, which they call the satisficer who says, you know, this is good enough. I'll take it. So the maximizer gets a better outcome, 
but because they spent so much time on it and because they spent so much time considering the alternatives, they actually have much more remorse about the road untaken and therefore are less satisfied with their decision. I mean, that right there is just, that tells you everything you need to know about why FOBO is so bad. Mm, yeah. And and how does it affect other people in your life besides just leaving them hanging, waiting for you to respond to your that proposal that you sent? Yeah. Well, think about, I mean, we all have that friend who they were engaged for 19 years, right? And then they, they, one person or the other won't commit. I mean, th- those kinds of things. It's the person who constantly um, is looking over their shoulder for, for, you know, something better to do. They won't commit. Um, it's the person who you're trying to hire them for their job, for the job, and they keep on ghosting you because they, they aren't ready to accept. I mean, it's, it's just all the, you know, imagine if everybody in your life had FOBO, you wouldn't be able to get anything done. And yeah. so that, and entrepreneurs, I mean, you think about, you know, just trying to build an entrepreneurial venture. If your team isn't willing to commit to something and move, then, you know, how can you make any progress? Yeah. So this brings me to a question I've been dying to ask you. So I hear this a lot. Um, People say that they're multi-passionate or they have uh, tendencies that cause them to go in many, many different directions constantly in their business. And they just try different things here, there, there. And sometimes it's even to the point where you're like, I don't even know what that person does. You know, I, I see this often. So I want to hear from you whether or not you think, okay, do we, is it better to just focus all of our energy on one thing or can we kind of have some sort of balance if we are multi-passionate, like which one is better? Well, I do many things and I think I'm great. So I'm going to say that, but (laughs) listen, I think here's the way that I like to think about it. It's very good. You have to have focus in life but it doesn't mean you have to have blinders. And so what I think is helpful to do is to, you know, pick your lane, know what you want to do, what you're good at, like kind of like understand how your sort of your, the area in which your talents will be most impactful, but then keep your ear open to the multi sort of kinds of opportunities can come your way. And that's really important because if you think about how the world changes, I mean, it's funny not to talk about the, nfts which are just you know the, the topic of the day with everybody but like let's like, just take nfts like you know i'm not telling you to quit your job and live in the metaverse but like it'd be nice you know if you don't take time to learn about what's happening out in the world and the new things that are coming you really become irrelevant really quickly and so when people say like well i'm just not going to do that because it's annoying or i don't care to know about crypto yeah, maybe you don't believe in it, but you should still understand something about it. And so I think it's important to just make room to, you know, for example, get, you know, maybe invest in something in this space, not a lot of money, just a little bit, or maybe buy a bit, you know, some some Bitcoin and just like monitor it or something like that. that, It's that kind of stuff. It's not, you know, very much the way that I approach things in my own career. And it's very much the ethos of my first book, The 10% Entrepreneur, is recognize you have FOMO. And then for those things, like dip a toe in. And then if you love it and you're good at it, spend more time. If you're not, don't. But always have sort of a kind of a home that, that you that to go back to with a stable income and the, the sort of stuff that you are building your resume with. And on the side, have this kind of, and I, I don't like the word sandbox because people throw it around too much, but you know, this space where you can be experimenting all the time, building new skills, learning, having fun. Yeah, I really like that. My, my, my approach is to... 
uh, experience being multi-passionate in, in sort of like an umbrella. So I kind of like everything sort of fits into this nice neat umbrella and that just helps give me guardrails because otherwise I'm one of those people who are like, I must try it all. Um, and, and I don't think that that's in my past been the recipe for success. So, um, I give myself little, uh, my own little sandbox, which is actually pretty big. Okay. Um, then I think we should go to the roundup questions because I, I think these are going to be fun. Can you tell us what a day in the life is for you as a venture capitalist? Oh, boy. Uh, you know, it's so I work in Latin America, so it's a lot of Zooms in Spanish, uh, meeting with companies, meeting with, you know, the, our firm, meeting with uh, entrepreneurs and just trying to f- it's what's fun about it is you just get to learn about new ideas, like things you were like, didn't even know existed. It's like somebody showed me like investment products in the metaverse in Latin America. I don't, I still kind of don't know what that is, but I love learning about it. So that that's kind of a day for me. Yeah, that is fun. Um, I worked once with a company that did marketing for tech companies and I got to hear all of these things that I was like, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. So that was really, really, yeah, same. Um, all right. What do you miss most about Maine? Oh, I guess my family, my parents, but, uh, apart from that, I miss the quiet. You can sleep in Maine in a way you can't in New York city. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And the light pollution is like such a contrast in New York city. (laughs) Um, all right. What is your, what do you think your favorite part of life is as it stands today? Oof, that's hard. I would say I feel like I'm in this kind of headspace where I come up with ideas a lot and then I just run after them and I try to create IP around them and then make them fly. So I really like kind of I'm in a kind of a creative mindset these days um all right and then what is something that you still experience FOMO around I mean everything (laughs) but I feel it I just manage it so um, that's the that's kind of the way it works but I would say oh my goodness I think oof um I think I have a lot of professional FOMO. I I just I I I'm very lucky in that I my kind of circle of friends that people that I get to know and be hang out with is really amazing. Like I'm just I like to be like the least impressive person in the room. And I really have been lucky in putting together like whenever I have like a cocktail party or whatever at my house, people are always amazed at just the range of people and they're so interesting and stuff like that. And what happens though, when you have friends like that is that, you know, you, they, they do amazing things and you start to say like, whoa, I, I wish I could do that or this or that. And I'm always trying to get involved in their projects, whether they want me or not. But I would say it's that it's like fire up LinkedIn and like also having gone to HBS, it's like, I have classmates who are like running major companies now. It's just so, even though I'm happy on my path, it's like, you know, it just, it's still like, and I can't do all those things, obviously. I still feel the FOMO and I'm like, oh my goodness, like this person just took their biotech company public. Like what have I been doing with my life? And I think that's natural, but I, I, you know, I'll I'll own up to that. Okay. Then I guess I'm going to ask you one last question. What do you do to get yourself like back on track and feeling good about where you are in your own life when that happens? I think it's a combination of, um, just deciding that you hate that person. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. That's not nice. Um, I think it's a combination of a couple things. Number one is if that thing that that person's doing really lights you up, call them up and say like, I'm interested in your space. 
like say it's, you know, a reasonable thing you could get involved with. But, you know, typically it's like stuff that it's like, oh, XYZ is a partner at McKinsey. Like, I, I don't, I know I don't want to do that. Like, I, even though it, I see that and I'm like, wow, that sounds cool. I know I would hate that. And so, and I'm more interested in like, you know, it seems cool or like somebody's a hedge fund, has a hedge fund. Like, I, I'd be terrible at that. I would lose all the money. And so I just started to just think about like, okay, this thing makes me feel FOMO, but would I really want to do that? Like, let me think through a day in the life. Let me think like, am I good enough to do that? Are my skills aligned? And once you sort of separate the FOMO from the facts, it's pretty easy to say like, yeah, you know what? That's really cool that you're the CFO of this company, but like, I'd be terrible at that. So like wasting my energy on feeling like I'm not good enough is really kind of dumb. Yeah, I wrote that down. Separating the FOMO from the facts. Uh, that's my MO too. It's just like really playing out who I'm comparing myself to or what I'm looking at and being like, okay, do I really want that kind of life? And and that helps me a lot. So that was a great last tip. Thank you so much. Um, and can you tell everyone how they can get uh, any number of your books or and connect with you online? Sure. So Check out the places to find me are I have a podcast called FOMO Sapiens, and that's available everywhere and at FOMOSapiens.com. And then if you want to check out my books, Fear of Missing Out and The 10% Entrepreneur, they're, you know, on Amazon and all those nice places. And also you can just go to PatrickMcGinnis.com where you can find, you know, all kinds of resources and information. And finally, if you want to check out my, I think, very exciting Instagram, I try to keep it spicy. It's at Patrick J. McGinnis, and I'm on Twitter at PJ McGinnis. Oh, and LinkedIn. Sorry. I, I LinkedIn. I am also all over LinkedIn. I have a course there that I just launched called Managing FOMO in the Workplace. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Patrick. This was lovely, and hopefully it helps to bring our FOMO down a notch. Thank you, Emily. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.